Okay, so hopefully you got Mark 15 and um, 21 to 32 on your Bibles. Good. I can't hear any amens because I'm just looking at the back of the uh, camera. But the cross has always been plan A. The cross has always been God's plan A. It's never been plan B. It's not like, you know, Jesus died on a cross, so God had to come up with another plan. What seems to be a setback is actually the most beautiful set up in all of history. What seems to be a setback and something sad happening on a day, Friday, 2,000 years ago, it actually is a setup, the most beautiful setup in all of history. And the cross, it's like a big giant's sword. The cross has always been God's plan. It's been God's plan for Jesus. For example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it, it says, fellow, uh, Peter's first message to, uh, at the day of Pentecost. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. This was God's plan. And in Revelation 13, verse 8, it talks about the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world, from the creation of the world, the lamb who was slain. You know, Jesus' charge against him that was written above him on the cross was king of the Jews. But the leadership of the Jewish religion, they charged Jesus with blasphemy. That was their charge against him because he called himself God. And you just don't do that unless obviously you're God, which Jesus is. We know that. But their charge against him was blasphemy. Now, in Levitical law, it says that someone who blasphemes should be stoned to death outside the city gates. So here is Jesus slain from the creation of the world. Not stoned, slain. This talks about slaughter, mortally wounding someone, slaying or killing by violence. Slain. It's God's plan for Jesus to be slain before the creation of the world. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 to 20, we'll just read verse 19. Um, a lamb without blemish or defect, verse 20, sorry. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Jesus was chosen before the creation. It's always been God's plan. The cross has always been God's plan A. There's never been another plan. It's also been God's plan A for us, not just for Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, this beautiful passage, Ephesians chapter 1, but particularly in verse 4, it says, For he chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. He chose us in Christ before the creation of the world. Isn't it beautiful how God can take what looks like a setback and make it a set up? You know, sometimes in life we, we have setbacks. Well, we call them setbacks, but they end up being set-ups. I remember talking with this, uh, with this man one day, as an evangelist man, and, uh, in Pakenham, and he was in the mall with a group of other Christians, and he was training them to evangelize. And they, they were telling people the gospel, the good news, and someone didn't like that, and so they complained to management. And so next thing, this big, burly security guard comes out to these 
group of grandparents, you know, these Christians sharing the gospel with people. And, you know, it looks like a setback. And so he asked them, what are they doing? And they said, well, this is what we're doing. We're sharing the good news of Jesus. And you know what? What looks like a setback was actually a setup for this man. This man comes and he says, actually, I had a dream the other day. I'm a Muslim, by the way. I had a dream the other day. I saw a cross with blood on it. What does that mean? And so these people then had a chance to talk to them about Jesus and what he did for them on the cross. You know, what looks like a setback, God can use for a setup. In fact, he's really, really good at that. He's always been good at that. For example, Joseph. Back in Genesis, we see the story of Joseph. Joseph is, is one of the youngest of brothers, and, and they, they, they don't like him. He seems to a little, be a little bit arrogant and has dreams. Um, but after being left for dead by his brothers, almost 20 years later, let's just skip the story. 20 years later, he's now the ruler of Egypt, one of the rulers of Egypt, in charge of everything. And I just wanted to read to you um, from Genesis 45, verse 3. The brothers come back to, to Egypt during a famine. And Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph. They didn't realize that it was Joseph. They thought it was an Egyptian ruler. They didn't recognize him after 20 years. He says, I am Joseph. But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So, again in verse 8, so it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. You know, what looked like a setback, Joseph saw that it was actually a setup. And, and it looked like his, his brothers were selling him into slavery, but it was actually God leading him into victory. And later on, we read in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. You brought me to this position. Sorry, he brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, a well-known Christian verse. And we know that God causes everything to work together, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 to 10. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that previously hidden, uh, sorry, that, that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. 
in Isaiah chapter 55, it's, it's talking about how God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are far greater than our thoughts. What looks like a setback to us is actually just a set up for God. What the devil meant for harm, what the devil meant for harm, God uses for good. What the devil meant for harm, God uses for good. Isn't it beautiful how God can take what looks like a setback and make it a set up? But the cross is more than just God making something good out of something bad. The cross is the ultimate victory. And tonight's message is called The Giant's Sword. The Giant's Sword. To help me explain that title, I'm going to have to use a story, another one, in the Old Testament. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. We see the story of David versus Goliath. I'll read from verse 3. So the Philistines and Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley between them. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying a shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight? He called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we'll be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. In other words, they couldn't find a champion. They couldn't find a man to come against the champion of the Philistines. Down further, we see in verse 41 that David enters. Goliath walked out toward David, David sorry, with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his own gods. Come over here and I'll give, you, I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. Isn't that awesome? Love that story. And then he says, I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Is this a Sunday school story? This is awesome. This is very blokey. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with the sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle 
and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. You might know the rest of the story. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. Now that's a bit gross. But David, the story goes on, in fact, and it's, and it's fairly cool for anyone that's interested in um, battles. But David actually ended up carrying that head of Goliath around in his tent for a while. David took what was formed against him, that is the sword of Goliath, and he used it to cut off Goliath's head. The Bible says that no weapon formed against you will prevail, right? It doesn't say that no weapon will be formed. It says there's going to be weapons formed against you. If you're a follower of Jesus tonight, there are weapons formed against you. There is always going to be a weapon coming your way. And it'll look like a setback. It'll look like that it's going to be a victory to the enemy. But just like David did with Goliath's sword, through Christ, we can take up the giant's sword and slay the giant. In fact, we don't need to because Jesus has already done that. What the devil has meant for harm, God will use for good. God will take what looks like a setback and make it a setup for his own glory. All you need to do is have faith in God's power to save, just like Joseph just like David. And Jesus, back in Mark chapter 15, Jesus took what was an unbearable device for execution, a cross, and took it up as a sword to cut off the head of sin once and for all. Once and for all. There were crosses everywhere in Rome. In fact, Jesus and his disciples, as they would walk around doing ministry, they would be walking past sometimes people hanging on crosses beside the road, beside the trade routes, as a reminder to anyone who wants to buck the system of Rome, to anyone who wants to have another God other than Caesar. Jesus didn't die on the only cross. Lots of people died on crosses. But Jesus took that, that tool of punishment, that execution material, and he took it as a sword to slay the giant of sin. Sin in your life, sin in my life. The cross is the giant's sword that Jesus has taken up to ultimately cut off the head of sin. The cross in Rome's hands brought punishment, pain, and death. The cross in Jesus' hands brought freedom, forgiveness, life, and victory over death. Hallelujah. Does anyone just need some time just to praise the Lord right now? <laughs> do, you know that, do you know that Jesus cut off the head of sin? Do you know why Jesus cut off the head of sin? Just like David cut off the head of Goliath. See, without a head, 
Goliath couldn't speak. He couldn't taunt God's people. He couldn't bring abuse. He couldn't accuse them. He had no voice. He had no power over God's people. And just like David took the head of Goliath, Jesus took the head off sin on the cross. Now, sin still exists. You just have to watch the news. Look around. Look deep, deep, deep down inside your own heart. You know that there's sin that still exists. But Jesus has cut its head off. He's given it no voice over your life. He's given it no power over your life. No say. Sin has no voice or power if you believe it. Romans 6 verse 7 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Jesus has cut off the head of sin. Let's have a look at Genesis chapter 3. This is the story of, of God speaking to Satan after Adam and Eve's sin. And God says to Satan, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, you will strike his heel. There'll be a wound, but he will strike your head. There'll be a fatal wound. And what, what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, being the seed, being the offspring of Eve, because Eve doesn't have seed. Adam had seed. Eve doesn't have seed. But through Mary, Christ came. Through the seed of the woman, Christ came. And he dealt with what was broken in the garden. He cut off the head of sin once and for all. And one day he's coming back to redeem everything and make it all right. Isaiah 54 verse 17 says that no weapon turned against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Isn't that a beautiful promise tonight? Isaiah 54 verse 17. Why don't you just write that down right now and check it out yourself? Because next time those voices rise up to accuse you, take up the giant's sword, the cross. Take up the cross. The debt has been paid. Jesus said it is finished. Believe it and walk around with the giant's head in your tent for a while, reminding him and yourself who's really in charge, who really is God, who really is the Lord. Colossians 2 verse 13 to 16. I want to finish with these a few verses here. Colossians 2 verse 13 to 16. It says, speaking of the believer, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. He cancelled the record of charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority, authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. 
So don't let anyone condemn you. And Romans 8 verses 1 to 3. So now there is now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our own sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. While Jesus hung on that cross, there were accusers. There were passers-by, there were soldiers, even some of the criminals near him accused him, and the religious leaders accused him. Their voices, their words were strong. But Jesus Christ stayed there. He could have come down. He could have called legions of angels to wipe them out for their evil deeds. But he stayed there to conquer the giant. You see, our battle as Christians is not against people. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the rules and powers of this dark world. We can't say it's evil. But Jesus Christ has overcome evil. Isn't it beautiful that we can just believe in Jesus And evil and sin can lose its power over us and its voice over us. You know, even as a pastor, I've struggled with sin in my life. But it's only through Christ's victory on the cross that I've ever seen any victory in my own life. And the same is for you too. Let's walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Let's believe what Jesus did on the cross for for us and live lives of victory. Let's take up our cross and follow him. Let's see this week the setbacks that come our way. Let's see that maybe God's going to use that to bring something really victorious in your life or through your life to somebody else. But ultimately, let's just praise God that he is so good to us, that he sent his one and only son to die for our sins, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the best news ever. It's always been God's plan A. The cross has always been God's plan A. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to live a life on this earth, to model who you are, what you do, how you love, And also to model for us how we are to have a relationship with you. We ultimately want to thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying uh, dying on the cross for our sins. That you, you took the punishment all the way from the Garden of Gethsemane, through the trials, through the through the beatings, through the through the crucifixion, you stayed there for us. You took up the giant's sword. What sin had created because of our own evilness, you used as a weapon to beat sin. Thank you, Jesus, for taking the cross, 
for us, for our sin, and for our own salvation. We believe that what you did on the cross for us was enough. And we praise you in your name. Amen. Amen.